turn to God's Word in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Picking up from where we left off in our series, Matthew. Before we read this text, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. God in heaven, how kind you are to give us your word. It does make us wise. It makes us understand who you are and what you require of us. Lord, as we turn to this text and these words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, we pray that you would give us understanding that that your word would be a scalpel to, to show us and uncover things within our heart. Cut away sin, O God. Cut away pretense that we with sincerity might embrace your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Jesus said, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. As far as the reading of God's holy and inerrant word, you may be seated. Fasting is not necessarily a a subject that's picked up on uh, in modern preaching in the church, uh, especially among Protestants. Um, But it's talked about a lot in the culture, isn't it? (laughs) There there are headlines about it uh, all over the place. Uh, A recent Google search uh, yielded many results on fasting. These are some just from the past few days. Um, Quote, intermittent fasting, gaining popularity in weight loss journeys. Fasting, there you go. Experts explain diet method that burns off fat in less than two days. What, what is that secret? It's fasting. Fasting may reduce inflammation. That's another headline. Here's another one. A diet that mimics fasting helps your body stay young. And here's the, the subline that I really like. You even get to eat junk food when you break fast. I can have my honey bun in the morning because of that. All right. Here's another one. Mimicking fasting might increase lifespan. If you want to live longer, you might want to fast. Another one. Fasting-like diet may reduce signs of aging by 2.5 years. I could look like a 31-and-a-half-year-old again. That would be exciting. All right. Intermittent fasting shows promise for those with type 1 diabetes. You get the picture. Fasting is throughout uh, the, 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 the world today. Our culture is talking about it. It's, it's filling the news today. You've, you've, uh, perhaps you're, you yourself have done intermittent fasting as a means of, of weight loss or, or getting something in your body under control. Now, I am no dietitian, and I'm not going to tell you what diet you need to follow, right? That's not my job. Uh, I hope you don't come to me for that. I don't know if any of this is true about fasting and If you uh, should fast for the health benefits, 
or if you want to look two and a half years younger, uh, maybe you can start fasting regularly. I don't know. But, but I can tell you what Scripture teaches about fasting. And that's what's before us today. Jesus is teaching us about fasting. Like today, the Jews were talking about fasting, and they were practicing fasting, but not necessarily for the health benefits, for, for pious reasons. As we've continued our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly this chapter 6, we need to understand that, that the heading determines how we need to view this particular text. Remember verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's governing this text. Jesus has pointed out uh, giving to the poor. Don't, don't do it outlandishly to do it as a show. He's talked about prayer, that, that we don't need to be praying on the street corners and heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles, but, but we, we need to pray in secret that our Father may hear us. And here he focuses on, in on fasting. When he says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. And they say that, that they are doing this to, to be seen by others. It was done as an act of worship. And in Scripture, we see it quite a bit, especially in the Old Covenant. There was uh, and, and is only one mandated fast day in the whole of Scripture, and it was the Day of Atonement. There were times of corporate fasting and individual fasting, usually accompanied by seasons of prayer. And then, in Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees, as they were apt to do, they heaped up all these different things concerning fasting. Such that we know in places like Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. What does the Pharisee brag about in his quote-unquote prayer? I fast twice a week. That's what he said. And when they fasted, it was a religious show. It was a showy fasting of the Pharisees that Jesus is particularly highlighting here. And he's using fasting as he has used prayer and used giving to the poor to show us that in our practices of devotion to God, we need to do so from the heart with sincerity, with our eyes fixed upon him and not as a show for others. That's what Jesus is getting at here. To get there, I want to ask three questions of our text because we oftentimes don't talk about fasting. We might as well open that concept up from the scripture. So first, let's ask this question. Should we fast? Should we fast? Let's look at verse 16. Jesus says, and when you fast, when you fast, Jesus is here assuming that his disciples would fast, that fasting in practice would uh, continue, that it would perhaps be part of, of their worship and devotion to God. He, he says, when you fast, and it, it is not one of those kind of if-when statements it's saying, no, there are going to be Christians who fast. And, and Christians who fast, they are going to fast this way. And we see fasting in the New Testament. We see it primarily in the book of Acts. The New Testament's not completely silent about fasting. 
But we see it in, in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, we see, we see Paul and Barnabas about to be commissioned and sent out as missionaries. We see in Acts 13 verses 2 and 3 that the, the church at Antioch, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of, to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So we have here the church at Antioch fasting and praying during this commissioning season. Uh, we see a parallel in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. It's the very next chapter over. And this is uh, a church uh, that, that Paul and Barnabas go to at, uh, at Derbe. In verse 23 it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So, we have examples of fasting in the New Testament. Jesus does not stop fasting and forbid it. He's not doing that. He's assuming, as it were, that fasting will continue. It was practiced, even in the early church. But it should be noted that for the New Covenant believer, there is nowhere in Scripture where we are commanded to observe a fast. We're not commanded to. The only command to observe a fast particularly is in the Old Covenant for the Day of Atonement. But what has happened? Christ Christ is our Passover lamb. Christ has fulfilled this feast day, this rather a fast day, the, the Day of Atonement. And because Christ has fulfilled it, it is no longer binding upon us. The New Testament presents it as an option for individuals or perhaps even churches to perform. But we are never told in Scripture, thus saith the Lord, Christians must fast and they do it on this day and in this way. We are free to fast. We are free not to fast. As our consciences and circumstances permit. Now this position on fasting that I've just told you is something that distinguishes us from the Roman Catholic Church. Mandatory in the Roman Catholic system is fasting throughout the year. There, there are particular high, high days in which people are, are, are called to fast, but particularly Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, and, and every Friday during Lent, they, they can't eat meat. Do you wonder why the filet of fish comes out at in McDonald's every year around this time, or or in, in my neck of the woods, we we like pie pies, pie pies. It's not pie pies, pie pies, right? Uh, they have a fish sandwich. Why? Because it's the Lenten season. You can't eat meat on Friday. The Roman Catholics say to be faithful, says the Roman Catholic Church, to honor God, you must fast. On these days and in this way. And it was this kind of binding of the people that led to the Reformation in Switzerland. 
1522, I believe it was March, um, March 9th, 1522, this, this priest named Ulrich Zwingli, that's a fun name, Ulrich Zwingli, right? Uh, he, he attended and defended a feast of sausages on the first Friday of Lent. Now, that may not sound much to you, you know. Oh, I can eat sausage any day of the week. Well, of course you can. Why? Because of reformers like Zwingli. Right? He got in big trouble over this. It's almost as if he said the Roman church would mandate a feast, or a fast rather, we'll bring out the sausages. We'll enjoy a nice barbecue, right? Or however they cook them. They might have boiled them. Not as tasty as barbecued sauce, but I digress. Why would he commit such an act of rebellion? Well, it's because of this. God alone is Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men. No one, not me, not, not the Presbyterian Church in America, no one can tell you, Christian, you must fast. To do so is to violate your conscience. We may offer maybe a season of, of solemn prayer and, and fasting, but you are not bound by duty to do it. The Roman church mandated fasts. If Scripture commands me to do something, I am bound to do it, but I am not bound to celebrate any man-made religious observance. Indeed, it may be more pleasing to God that I askew and, and, and rebel against extra-biblical requirements. So when we ask this question, should we fast? The answer is, you are free to fast. Or you are free not to fast. I may even say fasting may be beneficial to you. But I cannot say you must. There's a big difference. But why might you want to fast? Why, why might you want to fast? Why should we fast? If we've determined, okay, fasting may be for me, what are some reasons? Well, in his commentary on Matthew, uh, William Hendrickson helpfully states that there are reasons to fast. Good reasons in Scripture. Fasting can be done as an act of humiliation, as an expression of lamentation, or as a means of concentration. Oh, that, that, he, William Hendrickson was Dutch Reformed, uh, but he, he sounds very, very much like a, a faithful Baptist preacher right there, you know, with that, those rhyming words. Anyway, so what do you got? Humiliation, lamentation, concentration, humiliation. In the Old Testament, what do we see? We see fasting often prayer, uh, often linked with prayer of confession. Say like in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, there the people of Israel held a solemn assembly for the purpose of confessing their sins and the sins of their fathers. They, they came together to, to, to hear the law of God read, and they came with sackcloth and ashes, and they came together to confess, Oh God, we have sinned. We have broken your law. Restore us. And part of that was fasting. 
Or say Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. Daniel 9 is an excellent display of corporate prayer. And Daniel there, again in sackcloth and ashes, begins praying, having fasted. Or take Joel 2, uh, 12 and 13. Where, where Joel, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes, Rend your heart, not your garments. Come with me with prayer and fasting and weeping. Humiliation. It may be good for us to fast when we have sinned. And particularly when we've sinned and we know our sin is wicked and we know it's, a, it's an affront to God and God hates our sin and we feel at ease. When we've sinned a sin and we feel comfortable in it, it may be time to fast. Why? Because it's an act of humiliation. It's also an act of lamentation. We see Fasting at times of bereavement. At the end of 1 Samuel, we, we read of Saul. Saul's death. Now Saul, during, uh, from, I mean really, uh, what is it, 1 Samuel uh, 13, 14, 15, Saul is pretty much written off. He's not God's king. He's not his anointed. The spirit has left him. But at the end of 1 Samuel, when, in 1 Samuel 31, when Saul dies, all the men of valor fast for seven days because their king has fallen. Lamentations, bereavement. You go to the next chapter in the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 1, David hears of the fall of Saul and Jonathan, and he fasts. Times of lamentation, times of bereavement, times of sorrow and sadness. It may be, may be a good time to fast. Humiliation, lamentation. William Hendricks has says the third one is concentration. Moses, Elijah, and our Lord Jesus Christ, they all fasted for 40 days. Now, I'm not telling you to fast for 40 days. That's... That, that was special in the history of redemption. I'm not telling you to do that. Where they had neither food nor drink for 40 days, sustained by the miraculous power of God. If you do that, you will die. Don't. But, according to Hendrickson and others, that was meant to focus their minds on their God, on Christ, on, on, on His God and Father, for He is God, to give mental clarity and focus so that you can pray, examine yourself, and glean from God's Word. Uh, I've found, um, I've not fasted much, but when I have, that that was the case. There was a clarity, a precision in my thought. And I found that I could pray uh, with, with more clarity, and I found that I could, I could use uh, God's Word as a scalpel to, to, to peel back the layers of, of, of mess in my heart to get down to the root bottom of my sin. And I could see with, with more, more clarity God's Word. Fasting helps with concentration. 
And so maybe, maybe that's what we see in Acts chapter 13 and 14. We have missionaries about to be commissioned from the church in Antioch or, or the church at uh, Derbe. And there, there we have uh, elders being appointed. And this is, a, uh, this is a time in which we need to concentrate and seek the Lord in prayer and gleaning his word. And we need to be laser focused, let us fast. That may be what is going on there. So why should we fast? Humiliation, lamentation concentration. So should we fast? You are free to do it or you are free not to do it. It may be beneficial to you in times of humiliation, lamentation, concentration. But the heart of what Jesus is getting at is particularly how do we fast? If you are going to fast, when you fast, what is this to look like? And that is the third point and the main point of Jesus teaching here. Notice with me Verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. We'll stop there. That's more of how not to fast, right? This is a direct reference to what the Pharisees were doing. It was their practice on several days out of the year, uh, over and above what was required of them in Scripture, and even twice a week, which would have been okay, except they let everybody else know that they were doing it. They presented themselves so that everyone knew that they were fasting. In light of verse 17, which reads, When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, we get an idea of what they're doing. They're walking around with their hair just sticking up, maybe. Their faces are... It talks about disfiguring. It's not that you know they, they did anything radical to their faces to make them look particularly nasty or, or ugly, but, but it was likely that they were either putting dust or even ash upon their face to, to, to cover over their face to let everyone around them know that's a pious person, right? Look at them. Look at their disheveled hair. Look at their their dirty, ashy face. They look like they've been weeping. They look like their face has been in the ground in prayer. Oh, that's a holy person right there. Some commentators uh, believe that part of their practice may have been wearing some sort of mask or veil even. But again, the context here reads as though that there is some sort of dirt or soot or ash or something upon their face to let everyone around them know that they were devoted, they were pious, they were fasting. With gloomy, dirty, ashy faces, they would let everyone know just how holy they were. But what does Jesus say about fasting? Was it to look like among his disciples, verses 17 and 18, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. What is Jesus saying? He's saying there should be no indication that you are fasting, if indeed you are. None whatsoever. There should be no difference in your appearance on the day in which you're fasting or the day in which you're feasting. It was the practice of the Pharisees to look like they were fasting, to announce to everyone who saw them, they're fasting. 
Your face would be dirty. Your hair would be unkempt. But Jesus says, wash your face and anoint your head with oil. There should be no indications by your external appearance that you are fasting. Your face should be clean as on any other day. Your hair should be set as on any other day. This speaks directly to the practice that we see on Ash Wednesday. I'm going to throw that out there. Service is held in connection with the Lenten season in which the faster is marked with a, a cross of ash upon the forehead. And what's the purpose of that mark? Does it make you holier? No. Does it make the fasting more efficacious? No. What's the purpose? Why? I mean, some would say, well, it's, it's indicative of the, the ash and the sackcloth that would be worn in the Old Testament. And, and everything. Yeah, but that's usually within private, private times, according to the Old Testament, or when there are public and solemn uh, fasts of the entirety of Israel together. So you're not walking around among the Gentiles saying, look what I've done. How does the practice happen today? It's an outward ceremony, which actually runs contrary to the words of Jesus here, that when you fast, wash your face. Now, why do I bring this up? It's not because I'm on a tirade against Roman Catholicism. I've already, I've already talked about that aspect of it in first point. Why is it relevant to us? main reason is because it's not just a Roman Catholic practice. It's not just a, a practice among our, our Lutheran brothers and sisters and our Anglican brothers and sisters, but it's becoming more prevalent among evangelicals, including PCA Presbyterians. There is this tendency within evangelicalism, within certain aspects of the PCA, certain sectors of it, to find some of these things which are that feel ancient and feel significant. And, ooh, that feels sexy and significant. Let's do it. They not only celebrate Lent, but, but they, they put smudges on their face as an external act of piety to mark out that they are celebrating. It's cool. It's hip. It's traditional. It feels significant. But friends, it's unbiblical. It's not neutral. It's not even not helpful, but I would even argue it's detrimental. Why? Because Jesus is saying, what are you doing? You're broadcasting, you're fasting. Don't. And this isn't even an address of Lent. I have my views on that too, but this is just about the Ash Wednesday bit. It goes against the command of our Lord Jesus. If Jesus says, wash your face when you fast, then wash your face when you fast. If Jesus says, put no external in indicators of piety out there, then put forth no external indicators of piety, especially those crafted by human invention. And that's key. That's key. Lord Jesus, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, Of 
quoting Isaiah, speaking of the Pharisees. In Matthew 15, 8 and 9, the Lord Jesus, quoting Isaiah, says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Do we pick up man-made practices of piety and, and, and say, oh, this is snazzy, let's do it for God? Or do we listen to God and what he says in his word? Are we listening to Christ? What does Jesus want? He wants your heart. He wants you to worship the Father in sincerity. He wants... He wants you to worship Him with a heart of faith. A heart that is bent on worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Your worship, whether it be in private or in your family or in public, must be bent upon pleasing God and what He has said He desires. Not on impressing others. And friends, we can seek to impress others even without crossy smudges on our face. Are we here because we think we're impressing others? Are we here, uh, young people, because we are impressing our parents, convincing them, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're following the way, but, but really we're just doing it for them. Well, friends, you're in a similar spot. You're, you're an external practicer and practitioner of religion, but God wants your heart. Do we put on airs? We... we we, we seek to, to display and broadcast our holy living. Friends, Jesus wants your heart. If you pick up this practice of fasting because you have something about which you, you need to feel in your own body humiliation or, or you are so sorrowful that you, you need to feel your lamentation and you need uh, to, to concentrate. Are you going to broadcast it around the water cooler? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm fasting right now. You're sipping your water. I'm not talking about intermittent fasting or anything of that nature. And maybe share that with some. Oh yeah, intermittent fasting has helped me a lot. I don't know. I'm not a dietitian. But if you want to fast Jesus' way, it's not going to be obvious. It must be secret. But this is the good news. Your father will know. And that's what matters. That's what, that's what Jesus says at the very end here. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. What reward is there in these external shows of religion? The approval of men and nothing else, Jesus says. That is worthless. But with a sincere heart, a heart of faith, a heart that looks to Jesus, a heart that desires to do his word and will. And you look to him and you obey him and you say, oh, I want to worship my God. I want to commune with my father through Jesus Christ, the son, my older brother, who has purchased me with his blood, who is raised for my justification, who brings me back in fellowship with God. I want to serve him. And you do it in secret, not just publicly. 
God will reward you, it says. Grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing, both here and forevermore. So my friends, what is the takeaway? Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves every Lord's Day. Examine yourself as you are leaving here. Do I, am I here just to show off, to put on a show? Do I come here because I love God and want to commune with Him, no matter what other people think? Because it's the heart that God wants. Worship from the heart, in spirit and in truth, as we pray together. Lord in heaven, we pray that you would, in kindness, show your mercy to us, dispel the showmanship religion, that we, by the Spirit, with changed hearts, through Jesus Christ, may worship you aright. Oh God, we pray that you would change our hearts, which are so fickle and so desirous to make a show. Oh God, we pray for your kindness to free us from such pretension that we may with great freedom worship you through, through fasting or, or any other means to the glory of your great name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.